Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Eddie Tate. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Doesn't worship so good? You know, it's funny, just even the statement that it's been a crazy few months, it's like, what's the solution? What we just did was the solution. You know, when we turn our attention to Him, all of our circumstances seem to fade away into the, into the distance. It's just so good. Why don't you put your hands out in front of you? You know, Holy Spirit comes, but it's not a one-time thing. <laughs> it should be a lifestyle. It should be an ongoing, everlasting, repeated thing that's going on in your life. I don't just take a breath to live, I breathe to live. And I don't want the Holy Spirit to just come once so I can live in Him. I want Him to come consistently so that I can live in Him. So just invite Him. You use your word, just say, Holy Spirit, come. See, there's something about our own words inviting Him. There's so much power in the invitation to just say, come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for every person that's here right now, God. Father, I thank you that we didn't, we didn't come to the overflow service. We didn't come to the convenient service. We came to the time you wanted us to be here to meet with you. God, we thank you that you are in full control of today. We thank you, God, that everything we need is supplied in your presence. So, Father, we just acknowledge your presence and say thank you, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. I actually have something to share, and then in worship, I thought I was going to go away for a while. <laughs> so part of me's here. We'll see what part's here. You guys are quiet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start picking on people soon. Yeah, the few that know me say yes. The rest of you are looking at me like, it's been three months. Don't, don't mess with me. You know, I believe we're in the most exciting time that we've ever known. I honestly think that we are at the, we are at the perfectly positioned time to see the greatest revival that has ever come across the world. And five of you agree with me, so we're, we're on. We're two or more gather, so I'm good with five of you. You know, I had to take a reflection. A lot of what I'm going to share today is just, uh, it's a reflection of where I'm at, the process I'm going through, things that are being sorted out in my heart and my mind. You know, a lot of times God, God will give me a word that is supposed to be spoken out for someone. This one is actually being spoken from someone. It's from my process. And I had to reflect on this, 
time. It's like, God, was I, was I actually put in a place of social distancing? Was I put in a place of not being able to go anywhere? Or was I planted so that you could actually nurture me? And so that when I came out of this, I have actually grown into something so new. I wasn't hidden, I was planted. There's a couple things I just want to go after today. You know, I love the idea that, how many of you had great expectations in 2019 for what 2020 was going to be? But how many, how many of you had it figured out? Kind of the idea that, oh God, I see what you're going to do and it's going to be the best thing ever. Because it's 2020, it's vision, it's going to give us clarity of what you want from us. Nobody, nobody else? I was excited for this year. I'm going to be honest, last few months, I've been excited about what he's doing, but I haven't been excited about the year. See, I've had to wrestle with something. What do I see going on around me? Or what's going on inside of me? Has anybody else had to deal with that? See, the excitement of what was coming shouldn't have been an external thing. It should have been an internal thing. My, my excitement for what God was going to do this year should not have been influenced or based on my surroundings and my circumstances and society and what the world's telling me is or is not going on. It had to be this excitement from the internal realization of God. You're in control. God, you're not surprised. How many of you think he was surprised by COVID? How many of you think he was surprised by the fires in Australia? The murder hornets that lasted a couple days. You know, how many of you think that he was surprised by anything going on? How many of you think that it happened and he's like, oh, I better actually do something glorious now that something bad's happened? See, a lot of times we're like, oh, God will turn all things to good, but he didn't know what was going to happen, but he decided to make it good because it's now happened. God's not surprised at all. God's had a plan the whole time. God, I pray Ed doesn't ever stop laughing. I, I pray it's hard for him to work. It's hard for him to eat. It's hard for him to sleep. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go after this for a second because... In, in the middle of worship, how many of you saw this painting being done during worship? You know, I, love, I have a friend in here that actually made a comment before service, and he's like, I want to see. I want to see the angels. I want to see the... I, want, I, want, I don't want the sense of God in the room. I want to see God in the room. How many of you want that? I don't know why, but when she was painting this, I said, honestly, as we behold this, we actually are invited in to see greater depths of what he's showing us. How many of you need joy in your life? Yeah. 
How many of you need laughter in your life? How many of you need a break from seriousness in your life? Good, just look at Ed. See, this is a test. How many of you are going to watch him? Some of you are not going to get it. Some of you are going to get it. I'm going to recalibrate some of you to church again. Don't look at me. Look at him. See, Jehovah Leaky's on him right now, not me. It's leaking all through the room. Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. All right. How many of you have your Bibles? You guys forgot you're supposed to bring your Bibles to church, huh? <laughs> grab your phone, grab your Bible, look over your neighbor's shoulder, whatever you need to do. Romans 12. There have been a couple verses, there are about three verses or places in Scripture that I have I've not been able to get out of probably in the last few weeks. And I feel like, oh, I want to look something up. I go to open the Word, and I, I'm immediately drawn back to one of these three places. And I feel like God's peeling back some things. And I just want to touch on a few of these today. Romans 12:2, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed. See, the word conformed means to be or become behaviorally or socially similar to as of being or becoming shaped or molded into a certain pattern. Transformed means to become or become changed as manifesting a change, a change in your nature or essence. See, being conformed is an external process. Being transformed is, is an internal process. Do not be conformed to the world. Do not let your external circumstances actually begin to shape and change who you are in behavior, who you are in your identity, who you are in how you respond to people. But be transformed. Let what's inside of you actually make its way out. That it actually begins to cultivate, manifest, and it begins to shape itself to be a reflection and likeness of Jesus. You know, it's a confusing time for a lot of people. And honestly, if you, if you get caught up in social media, if you get caught up in media, if you get caught up in conversations with too many people, you, can, you, you, start to, you start to realize you can never actually win. You can't be right. If I do this, this group says I'm wrong. If I don't do this, this group says I'm wrong. If I do this, half of them hate me. If I do this, half of them love me. If I stay silent, oh, you just don't have a voice. Like, it doesn't seem like anything I choose to do externally seems to be the right thing. It's confusing. 
How, how many of you feel that? Like, they, it's just, it's like you want to speak up because you have an opinion, you have a voice. All of us have opinions on what's going on. Right, wrong, good, bad, indifferent. It doesn't matter. We all actually have thoughts and opinions about what's going on. But are we being manipulated and conformed to believe what we're being told, shown, and talked about? Or are we letting the thing that's inside of us actually determine how we respond? It's a confusing time. But we're not supposed to live lives of confusion. We're supposed to live lives of conviction. We're supposed to have the conviction of Christ inside of us that no matter what's said, done, or happens, we don't vary. See, I don't want to be tossed back and forth with the wind. And the wind represents the voices of society. I don't want society to blow me one way or another or to tell me where I'm supposed to land. I want to be planted on the rock of Jesus, on the firmness of the foundation of my faith, and I don't want to be shaken. See, what happens when people are being blown around? They're honestly, whether they realize it or not, they're looking for a place of strength to hold on to. What happens is that when there's confusion amongst people, they gather in groups of acceptance and they gather in groups of agreement. Why? Because it feels stronger, because they feel like we're not going to be blown around as much when we're gathered. But they may not even be agreeing on the right thing. They're just trying to find a place of security and safety. I've mentioned this to many friends over the years, and I've told, you know, they've asked, how do you reach family? Because they know everything about you. They've seen your good. They've seen your bad. They've seen, I was like, stay consistent. It doesn't mean stay perfect. It means stay consistent. Make sure that your message never changes. See, I may change in how I approach the throne of grace. I may change how I bro approach my brothers and sisters. I may even change in the way that I view myself and God. But when the message remains consistent, it shows something that people desire, which is stability in their lives. See, in this time, people want stability. They want something, even if they don't necessarily agree with it, they want something that can't be swayed by opinion or people. It can't be swayed by politics or money. It can't be swayed by fear. It remains strong regardless of what's going on around it. People desire that so deeply. You know, as the church... We need to make sure that we're not becoming known for things that we're against. We need to be known for the things we're for. We need to be known for the love. They will know they are Christians by their love. See, love doesn't get swayed by circumstance. How much I may like you in a moment does? Anybody else agree with that? How much I may tolerate you in a certain time frame does? But true love doesn't get swayed by those things. I've said this to my children. My children know this, but as a father, 
there is nothing that my children can ever do to lose my love. Can they lose my approval in something? Yes. Can they lose my support in a decision? Possibly. Do I like everything they do or even like the way they act at all times? I'm going to just say no. But I don't care what they do, what they say, how they act, the decisions they make, the mistakes they are, that they make sometimes. <laughs> I was trying to see who was listening. <laughs> Nothing about them can ever change my love. So as my children, they know my love is steadfast. So regardless of what they've done, how they act, where they are in life, they know they have a place to go that will never change. It will always be solid and secure. Is that what the church is to the world right now? Is the church the place that people say, I know you don't agree with me. I know I've messed up. I know I don't like you right now, but I know I'm safe to come there because you love me regardless. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell this story. I might have told it before. I'll leave out certain details, but after I first got, first got saved, and I should say I just made a full commitment with my life to God, I moved up Northern California, and I was working at a fitness club, and there was a young woman there that she decided to pursue me inappropriately. And to the point that I had to actually have a restraining order put against her. And she got fired from the club that we worked at. And I got teased and, you know, ridiculed because what kind of guy would actually turn away that from a woman? What kind of guy would actually fill out a restraining order? All this other stuff. And this young woman, she left. This was in 1998. Early 1999 is when she actually got fired and the restraining order got put in place. Right around, I think, October, probably more no November of 99. How many of you were alive in 99? How many of you remember Y2K? I mean, the world was going to end, right? Everybody, everybody knew it. People were buying absurd amount of everything, which doesn't make sense. If the world's going to end, why do you stock up? But anyway, every, but there was, there, was a true, there was a true ignorance to what's going to happen at at, y at the year 2000. And there was a lot of fear. I mean, fear was actually prevalent across the planet. People just did not know. And I remember sitting in my office at work and this young woman comes into my office and shuts the door. Now I remember thinking, okay, this is either gonna go really bad or really good. And she sits down and she says, I wanna ask you something. I said, yes. She goes, I wanna know if the world's gonna end. And I said, well, why do you want to know? And she said, because you're the only person that stood by what you believed, and you're the only person I trust to give me this answer. When you stand your ground, when you put the stake in the ground and stand by your faith and your message doesn't change, even people 
that you could have possibly destroyed part of their life will come back to you in time of fear and times of trouble. See, the church has been labeled to be against so many things, and it needs to be known for who it's for. You guys doing good? See, everybody here, you guys need to deal with your BS. Your belief systems. I don't know what you were thinking, but you need to deal with your belief systems. Some of you just, man, you've been cooped up too long. I don't know what you've been watching on Netflix, but. See, my belief should be based around what I see God doing, what I hear him saying. My belief should be based around the word that I'm in. The awareness of his presence should be the foundation of my belief system. I don't want to create a belief system. I don't even want to allow a belief system to be created for me by society or people, even ones that I care for. I don't want a belief system to come out of me or be put upon me by anyone or anything that's based out of some sort of acceptance or fear. I want a belief system that's based on faith, not fear. You guys, Hebrews 11.1, 1, everyone know that verse? Okay, everyone repeat it. I'm just kidding. Um, I used to love that. When I'd go to church early on, people were like, okay, everybody knows this verse. I'm like, yeah, I do. I didn't know the verse at all. I don't want to assume everyone knows it. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I love the version that I pulled this from because it says faith is or the conviction of things not seen. A lot of versions say evidence. I like that word conviction. See, faith are the things hoped for, but it's the conviction. In other words, it's the trust. It's the knowing that I don't know. It's the knowing that I'm, I'm hoping for something that I have no clue if it's out there, but I actually trust in the one who says it is. My faith should not be situational. My faith is not conditional. My faith isn't high when I'm doing well and low when I'm doing poorly. My faith is my conviction and my trust in him. You know, in this time, I, I've realized how, how powerful my words are. Some of you just got crazy because you were alone and you were talking to yourselves. But some of you were talking to yourselves for a purpose. See, if you found yourself arguing with yourself, that's not healthy. But some of us actually learned how to almost make declarations over who we are and where we are. You know, there's, Proverbs says, or yeah, it says that the power, uh, there's death and life in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18. 
you know, Ezekiel. How many of you have heard the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones? He was told to prophesy over the dry bones. It wasn't like, Ezekiel, I'm going to show you a vision of a valley of dry bones, and then I, God, without you involved, are going to bring these things to life. It was actually, no, you prophesy to them and tell them to live. What are you telling yourself in this season? What are you repeating to yourself? What are you prophesying into your life in this moment? Are you, because in Proverbs, it actually goes on to say, and they will eat and drink, they will eat the fruit of what they say. Am I speaking death over my circumstance? I'm so scared. No. Even if fear is a temptation the enemy's invited me into, I'm going to speak out of the realm of prophecy and faith. I am grounded in the word of God and I fear no evil. See, we think fear is an emotion that we've chosen. A lot of times it's an invitation. It's an invitation from the enemy to distract you from your faith. I'm going to prophesy my faith. I'm going to prophesy my assurance. I'm going to prophesy my future. Our words establish our convictions. Our convictions create purpose for us. And our purpose impacts the world around us. So what world are you creating? What purpose have you given yourself? You know, the, the amount of, and nobody in this church would ever do this, but the amount of Christians that I've seen on social media that have become advocates for choosing a side and speaking against others is really scary. They've prophesied over themselves that they are judge and jury, that they are ones to convict, and they have all of the right answers, forsaking that it's supposed to be who you're not against, but who you love. Nobody here does that, right? It got quiet. You know, I was even listening to the radio on the way here. Um, I don't, I've, I've, I've purposely been trying to not listen to a lot of things right now. Because if I don't have more of God inside of me or being, if my inputs are more of God than everything else, I'm going to start to find myself leaning a different direction. So if I spend time in the word, time in worship, time in prayer, time in soaking in his presence, listening to his voice, watching for what he's doing. If that is outweighed by the amount of things I'm reading, social media, listening to conversations, watching things, if that's outweighed, I am actually providing the opportunity to be taken off track. So I've been very careful to not allow a, thing, a lot of things in. And that's me personally. That may not be for everyone. But I, I was putting my phone connected to the thing, and I was driving a different car today, so it took a minute to get it set up, and the radio was on. And within a 30-second period of listening to the radio, Christian radio station, I remember hearing them say, make a statement like, things are finally starting to get back to normal. Things are starting to open up again. It's starting to feel normal again. I rebuked my radio. 
I don't think the person heard me, but we have to recognize that things are different and we're not ever going to get back to normal. And that is the best thing we could ever know. Okay, Isaiah 42. If you got your Bible, go to Isaiah 42 and stick your finger in Matthew 4. I love this verse. Isaiah 42, 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. You know, I've, I've actually preached on that verse multiple times, talking about new seasons, talking about the goodness of God, talking about a lot of different things. And when I read it, I think it was probably Thursday. When I read it, I had this different thought than normal. I was a little offended that God would do this, but, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Sometimes new things of God seem very threatening because it challenges our normal. And one of the things that we have, to rec we have to recognize about ourselves is that our normal may actually be God's old. And when you are comfortable in your normal, even when it's something that God brought to you, and that's your normal, and when he says, I'm declaring a new thing, and you're like, whoa, you gave me this. We get threatened by the newness of God, not realizing he's like, but that was an old thing and new things I declare. Yeah, I, I was offended. I don't know about you. Because I read that verse. I'm like, I know this means something amazing. He's like, yeah, but you're holding on to my old. It's like, I like it. You gave it to me. It's pretty. See, just, becomes, just because something aligns with your normal and your experience doesn't mean it's truth. Hmm. See, I've, mentioned, I've mentioned recently that there's a difference between truth and truth. You guys got that one? No questions? There's a difference between truth and truth. I'm going to let that one sit and just let you wonder for a while. I said, put your finger in Matthew 4. I would say in the Bible, this is my most read passage of Scripture. Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I know when I first got saved, I was so mad at that. Why would he do that to me? Because he never puts you in a place that you, he hasn't provided the resources for you to overcome. He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was hungry. That makes sense. 
I don't know why they had to put that in there. It's pretty obvious. How many of you think if you fasted 40 days and 40 nights, you'd be a little bit weak? You'd be a little bit susceptible. Your guard would probably be down a little bit. How many of you think that you would be in a place of kind of vulnerability? Two of you. That's awesome. I challenge everyone here to a 40-day fast, no food or water. Yeah. Ended that one. Um, there's Chick-fil-A and torches. It's impossible. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. See, the enemy will often come and focus on your circumstances rather than the truth of God's word. See, he came to Jesus and saw he was tired and he was hungry. So what did he do? He spoke to the identity of what he knew Jesus was capable of, but asked him to actually affect his circumstances because he made him focus on the circumstances instead of the word. See, often the enemy will come and he'll talk to you about everything going on around you so that you forget about what's going on inside of you. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. It is written. It is written. What we did at the beginning of this service and what I'm holding in my hand are the perfect pair to conquer any situation you'll ever face in the rest of, for the rest of your life. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How many of you realize that this is a rhema word? This is a spoken word in print. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, man will live on that. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Listen. For it is written. See, what happened? The enemy realized that, oh, if I come to you based on your circumstances, you're going to actually bring the word of God to contradict me. See, sometimes we want to say the devil's stupid. He's not stupid. He's just beaten. So what did the enemy do? He said, well, if you're going to bring the word to combat my challenge, I'm going to bring the word back. The devil actually quotes, it's, uh, where'd it go? Quotes Psalm 91.12. The second temptation the devil brought to Jesus was to actually bring the word of God itself to the word of God. God says he is the word. See, the enemy came with the truth of the word to try to distract the word. How many of you have faced Christians? How many of you have faced other people? How many of you have faced internal challenges and the whisper of the enemy quoting Scripture or the Word of God over your life to distract you from what he's actually doing in the moment? We're not always facing a decision between lies and truths. Sometimes we're facing two truths. One truth is what you're facing. The other truth is who you're facing it with.
We can't let the enemy convince us to take what's around us and turn it into something to sustain us. See, the enemy came and said, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Why? Take this thing that you're around, your circumstance, your surroundings, turn it into the thing that you are desiring because you're hungry. Turn it into the thing that will sustain you. And God, uh, Jesus' response is, but I am not sustained by that alone. I'm sustained by every word of God. See, here's the reality. It says he's, that we're not sustained by bread alone, which means bread sustains us. The enemy's not going to come with some ridiculous thing that doesn't make sense. He's going to come with something that actually makes sense in your circumstance. You're a powerful person and have all authority in heaven to change that stone into bread. So because you have that, why don't you go ahead and do it to sustain yourself? He wants us to perform for him instead of reside in him. I don't want to trust in my resources. I don't want to trust even in the blessing that God has given me to create something that provides. I, don't want to, I do not want to rely on my resources. I want to rely on the source. This may have been a little serious. Sorry. But I feel like We are coming out of something and stepping into something else. And I feel like, and I don't know if I'm the only one that has this sense, it feels like we're going from one circumstance that seems really crazy to a different circumstance that seems crazy to a different circumstance that seems crazy. I mean, I'm waiting for the aliens to show up in July or something. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean... Something crazy to crazy. It's like we're going from crazy to crazy to crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra. But God. See, if I'm standing on the rock, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. It's just the wind blowing back and forth. And I'm standing here going, I am a strong shelter for those that need me. See, I am overshadowed by him, which means that I cast a shadow for those around me. So are people being blown by me, or are they actually grabbing a hold and saying, I see something strong, I see something powerful, I see love, not fear. I see someone that doesn't care where I'm at, they just love me. I see someone that isn't angry and against everything going on, I see Jesus. See, you may be the first Jesus people ever come across. Why? Because we are a reflection of him. Am I saying we're Jesus? No. But we are co-heirs. And here's the reality. I had this encounter. 
I can't know, I can't really scripturally back this up, but I'm going to say I had an encounter. So forgive me if, if it offends the theologian in you. But we were in a prayer time the other night, other morning, and I go into this counter and I actually realize that I was in the throne room with God. So if you've read your Bibles in the throne room, God's sitting there, who's sitting next to him? Jesus. And I saw him. And I saw the lightning and the thunder. And I saw, actually, at that moment, I actually saw a, a desk, a writing desk, because we, we felt like we were in the strategy room of heaven. And I saw this desk laid out with plans and maps and drawings. But I realized I wasn't looking at any of those things. I was looking in my father's eye, and I was seeing the reflection of everything around him. One of these days, I'll unpack something I'm going through, because once I start talking about it, I'm done. I can't talk through the tears. But there's something significant about the unknown, and there's something significant about looking in his eyes. I actually don't want to be distracted by the glory of heaven. Because I want to be so consumed by looking in my father's eyes that I see all of the glory of heaven in, his, in the reflection in his eyes. What do people see when they look in your eyes? Do they see a reflection of the circumstances or do they see into the heavenlies and see a father that loves them? Everything you have ever needed is held in his eyes. But it's not reserved just for you. Everything that the world around us needs is held in his eyes. When we actually become the reflection of what's in his eyes, we become the foundation of faith for people around us. Some of you have actually been distracted. I sometimes think of the enemy as a magician. How many of you have ever gone to a magician and they have you looking over here and this hand's doing something else over here? Sleight of hand. There's always something happening that you're not aware of because your eyes are fixed on what he wants you to see. Some of you have been distracted by things in this season. Some of you have actually allowed your eyes to be taken off of the one to see the things around us. But how many of you know that in, an, in a moment, God can change every circumstance that you're in? How many people in here would say that you need God? to actually shift where you are right now to realign your eyes back into his. I know I did. Honestly, that's kind of what started happening in worship. I just, just in the middle of worship, I just began to see his face. I saw the pleasure of God looking at a group of people that were looking at him.
Some of us have been wary. This last few months, we've been planted. We've been given a time of rest. But God wants to pull you back out of the ground and show you just what he's actually done with this season. God wants to actually bring you out, dust you off, and show you exactly how beautiful you are and what he's done for you in this season, even when you didn't realize he was doing it. Can I have everybody just stand real quick? Some of you need healing in your body. Some of you need breakthrough in your job and your finance. Some of you need relationship restoration. Some of you just need to shake off the, the dirt of the last few months and the circumstances that the enemy's tried to pile on top of you and say, you know, you didn't throw dirt on me. You helped God plant me deeper. Some of you just need to just shake it off, look up, and see a father who's looking in your eyes. And we're going to open up the altars in a few minutes for you to come up and get prayer from someone. But I actually want us to take just a few minutes. It can be Evan. It can be a singer if they want to come up. I, I don't care what we try to do. I just want us to turn our affections to him and actually recognize what happens in his presence. I believe that there are going to be some people that get healing without any prayer. In fact, when you come up to the prayer servant, it's going to be to give a testimony, not a request. Some of you are going to recognize that something in your heart just shifted. You don't know why. It didn't feel like this aha, like, wow, God encountered me and he changed my heart. You're just going to think, you know, I, I feel better. I'm joyful where I wasn't joyful. I'm faithful where I had fear. Some of you are actually going to have your eyes opened. Some of you are going to have your ears opened. Just turn your affections to him right now. You know, and one of the greatest things that we have that we sometimes disregard is our imagination. You know, we don't want to make it up, so we say our imagination isn't truth. Well, where do you think your imagination originates from? He is the creator. He is the creator. The enemy cannot create anything. He, God, our Father, is the creator. So let your imagination begin to visualize his face. Let your imagination begin to visualize the things you've been struggling, but not that you're looking on them. You're actually looking in his eyes and you see that he's looking at them as already finished. We're just going to take a few minutes. I'm a little biased. This amazing young woman's going to sing for us. Those of you that don't know, that's my oldest daughter. She's going to just sing for us. I don't, I don't know what she's going to sing. She can hum. She can whistle. She can beatbox. I don't care. Whatever it is, she can do it. We're going to let her just lead, her and Evan just lead us. But let's not rush. 
Let's not rush. Just allow yourselves to imagine the face of God. Begin to peer into his eyes. Begin to actually see so clearly in his eyes that you begin to see the reflection from his eyes. The amazing thing is that you're not going to see circumstances around you. You're going to see that he's in the throne room. He sees the circumstances, but he sees them from a place of them being finished. And he has all authority over them. So, Father, I just thank you for this this time. I thank you for these next few minutes, God, that we get to encounter your face, that we get to encounter a Father that loves us, one that has all good intentions for us. Father, I thank you that we're going to look into the eyes of truth. Father, I thank you, God, that you've loved us from the beginning. And when we peer into your eyes, we see the depth of your love, the depth of your affection. And we see the invitation, God, to be with you at all times, in all circumstances. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.